Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since its premiere in 2016, Miami City Ballet's reimagining of Balanchine's A Midsummer Night's Dream has been beloved by audiences and acclaimed by critics. Now, enjoy the online premiere of this shimmery, shadowy, magical jewel box of a show from the comfort of your own home. Midsummer's virtual premiere is available online October 14th through 31st, 2021. Tickets are $20 and available on their website, miamicityballet.org slash midsummer, or click the link in the description of this episode. Self-love, confidence, and body positivity. These are the founding principles of Jewel Dancewear. The premier dancewear and activewear line founded and run by former Miami City Ballet dancer, Julia Cinquamani. Established in 2011, Julia addressed a need in the dancewear space, apparel that catered to women of all shapes, offering them a functionality they need without compromising fashion and quality. Jewel products stand the test of time and are made in the USA. They believe in the importance of doing their part to sustain U.S. community of independent garment manufacturers. We love her gorgeous leotards and dancewear, so be sure to check them out. Follow them on Instagram at Jewel Dancewear and shop online at jeweldancewear.com. And in celebration of Jewel's support of Conversations on Dance, we have teamed up for a very special giveaway. Starting on Wednesday, October 13th, be sure to follow our Instagram accounts to enter to win a Jewel leotard and a set of their meshy crop top and tights. Entries will be accepted through Monday, October 18th at midnight Eastern. Follow us on Instagram at Conversations on Dance and at Jewel Dancewear. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today on Conversations on Dance, we are joined by friend of the pod and New York City Ballet soloist, Georgina Pascogan. This summer, Georgina's new book, Swan Dive, was released, so we caught up with her between rehearsals and performances for a little chat. While she sat outside of the David H. Koch Theater, she told us about the inspiration behind the book, her writing process, what she hopes readers take away from Swan Dive, and what her return to the stage this past month has felt like. You can get your copy of Swan Dive wherever books are sold, or click the link in the description of this episode. Hi, Gina. Thank you so much for coming back on to Conversations on Dance. We've, of course, had you on in the past. Um, and this episode, we're really excited to talk to you about your book. So, I mean, it's been out for a little while now. What's the, what's the um, like promotional ride been like so far? I mean, well, first of all, hi, everyone. Hi, guys. <laughs> it's, I'm so happy to be back. Um, yeah, it's it, so the book came out in the U.S. Um, the last week of July. And I feel like people are just getting a chance to kind of sit down and read the book. I mm-hmm. feel like it's. Um, it was a huge adjustment of expectations for myself because, you know, as performers, we're always like opening nights, like a big thing. And you judge right. a lot of things off of like that one, one specific moment. Books aren't like that. <laughs> and this is slowly becoming a slow burn and yeah. more like, and so like as time goes by and as, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it. Like as people get over their initial, initial bristle. Mm-hmm. about what this about their expectations of what the books might be oh. um they're reading it and realizing like oh yeah it's funny because it's gina and it's funny and <laughs> it's truthful but it's also funny um and, and then like, but like it, i feel like there's been a big push and now i'm like extremely focused on 
the physical part of my job, which is dancing. We just made my return to the stage last night. Can we hear about that? I know that we're, we're going to get into the book, but I want to hear because like Michael and I were just saying before you popped on that it's been so cool to watch all the social media surrounding it. Like, how does it feel after 18 months to be back on stage? I mean, it feels wonderful. There's no, there's no fiber of my being that felt off about last night. Mm-hmm. I was, I, I like, I didn't have, you know, like a spiritual moment though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, but all this being said, like I came back to one of the hardest pieces of repertory. Red girl of Russian seasons is right. a bonanza of dancing and she's also <laughs> a whole mood. So uh-huh. I don't know if, if I was like trying to be in her character that I like masked my own feelings about being on stage, but I will say this it felt, I felt like I was back home and it felt normal. Like I had like the flutters of like a normal, like I had the adrenaline. I know the adrenaline was there. And then the second I actually stepped out on stage to start the solo, I was like, oh, this, this is no different. I'm born for this. This is what it's everything kind of settled in. And I was like, I'm made to do this. Yeah. And it was a lovely show and it was it, it just it's special special in a different way mm-hmm. you know um and i can't wait to do it again it was, mm-hmm. it was really nice it's it's nice to be able to to dance and get the claps mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not funny. not let me clarify not not get the clap but get the audience clap yeah <laughs> there you go like, we should really clarify that <laughs> uh, but you know, it's funny because Rebecca and I kind of had a similar experience as audience members. The first show that we saw, we were like, "Oh, that was wonderful!" But we, you didn't. I, we, I think we had an expectation that it would like hit you with a, this wall of emotion. I'm sure, obviously, you had that expectation as a performer. But I think my theory is that we've spent our whole lives doing this thing. So this little blip, like, what's a year and a half? when you've been, you're either watching or performing yourself for 20 plus years. It's like, of course, it just goes back to feeling completely normal. Like, of course, you just went back on stage and we're like, oh, duh, like, this is me. Makes total sense yeah, to me. Like this, this is a 730 show on a Wednesday and I got this. Right. Right. We got it. The yeah. only thing that was like amazing is that without the intermission, we were done at like nine and usually Russian seasons would go on at about no earlier than nine or nine thirty. Mm-hmm. So to be done with the show, it, I was like, "This is wonderful. We should always do this." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I wonder too. Um, like Michael was saying, so much expectations. Like, here's a moment you've been waiting for for eighteen months, and you've been like picturing what it's going to be like. So I wonder too if that kind of almost made it like a little strange because you were kind of like in your emotions, like, "What am I going to feel?" And then if you didn't feel that, you maybe were like, "What's going on?" I don't know. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, like, I kind of went into it. It's it's going to be one of two things. I'm going to go out there, and I'm like, the worst case scenario could happen, and like, I forget all the steps, and I like disintegrate and explode. Um, <laughs> and then, or the other option is you're going to tap into this being that you are mm-hmm. that you've put away for so long, and she's just going to fly. And listen, it's like you're watching me perform. There's a certain amount of just unexpected that always happens. Mm -hmm. And I'm on that ride too. And so I just was like, I'm giving this over. And I just also like offered it up. You know, it's, it's, there are people in this building that we've lost. You know, I offered my show up, like just to Clem, the head of security who is no longer with us Mm -hmm. and, you know, passed from COVID and, and he, he really loved me in this ballet and would always be like around. And so like, he wasn't there in my pre-show warm up, which was obviously so different because we had masks on and then mm-hmm. we demasked right before we went on stage. And right. I, it just was like, I, I truly am a completely different artist, a completely different person. And I think it was just like, yes, I am so comfortable with what I do let's just try to have fun because we have this opportunity and it's ours now for the taking we've Mm -hmm. been giving it for however long we have it right well speaking of fun 
let's talk about your book. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I guess I, I guess we should just talk, you know, as we do with dancing from the beginning, did you have an interest in writing from a, uh, an early age or what was the sort of Genesis for this whole project? Um, we had a, the Genesis for the project is I was injured and out in LA and having coffee with, um, my friend, Phil Rosenthal, who uh, he, he loves all things food. And I met, uh, met him doing his show, somebody feed Phil. And so we were having coffee and just kind of filling him in on everything that was happening at that time in 20, you know, late 2017, 2018. Um, and he was like, have you like all this drama aside of the recent months, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I was like, yeah, I have. And he was like, let me, let me like, let." so he like put me in touch with a book agent and I already had the elevator pitch for it, which was like, this will be the kitchen confidential ballet. Mm -hmm. And like, (laughs) as soon as I read that book, as soon as I, you know, like I was, I I am still God rest his soul and Anthony Bourdain, um, fan and mm-hmm. I think what he did for his interest industry like he told it how it was but you could tell that there was such a love for uh food for the mm-hmm. for the world and that's kind of how I feel about the dance world and mm-hmm. that's what I wanted to share because I'm fully of the mindset that like our art form is in fact dying and the only way for us to get it to live generations into the future is to make the people more relatable who first do it on stage and also make the ballets that we perform on stage more relatable to the audience that sits the stories mm-hmm. the stories have to we have to relate our society societal views are changing and like people it's it's not we can't just keep regurgitating the same we have mm-hmm. to grow along with um and change with society's views. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is kind of it's this has been a conversation for a while because ballerinas in the 20th century in particular, like there was this whole idea of like, you know, maintaining mystery. And we've talked about this with other guests. We, I think we probably talked about it with you. But mm-hmm. so I'm guessing that you are staunchly in the camp of like actually actively telling your audience about what your your real life is like and making you a human rather than a dancer is actually a good thing. I think it's a great thing. I mean, listen, like I'm not showing you my breakfast, my lunch on my Instagram. Like that's not, I think there's a way to still right. keep the mystique. Yeah. There's a way of, like you're still never going to know my process. Mm-hmm. Like right. the process of me coming into the red woman as I did last night, like that's a, a deeply personal and private process. Mm-hmm. But I don't like, I do think that the audience can learn something from the people. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, like I had my, my dear friend, Elad came to the show last night. He's seen me dance so much, but my, I, I recently worked with Hope Boykin for my first curated show. We, with love Hope. we love Hope. And she had not seen me dance at City Ballet. And I was mm-hmm. like, Hey, I, you know, please come. It, I really like, you're such a support. Like this would, I would love to have someone in the audience. And she came and she was like, I'm so happy I got to know you as a person before I saw you embody this particular role. Mm-hmm. What a fascinating point of view to see how actual, uh, how gentle you are in spirit, but how much you embody mm. this, this other part of yourself, which is so strong, which is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And she's like, and you're just this itty bitty package. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like it was, that's, that's kind of what I want to share. And that's what I think it's important to share because, you know, I have no agency as a dancer as to what roles I get to perform, Mm -hmm. but I do have agency in telling you who I am and sharing my particular narrative and my truth with the world. And so that's why I wrote the book Mm -hmm. and why I think I, why I love ballet, why I continue to do it. Mm-hmm. And right. why you should consider coming. Mm-hmm. Right. And if if that gets one person to consider coming to the ballet this season, I'm all for it. So we live in a time, right, where it's so easy to show who we are now in many different mediums, social media, podcasts, whatever, what have you. But I think um, like a book is such a 
it's a totally different way. It's a complete way to really show a full picture of yourself. So how did you go from this elevator pitch to developing the whole concept behind the book, how you were going to make sure that you told your story a way that was authentic to you? Because boy, if it doesn't feel authentically, Gina, and just the way you're speaking, and it's like, you can hear you speaking the book, you know? I mean, what was that process like? Well, it's like I had a, like I had collaborators that helped me. I wanted someone who was outside of the ballet world to be like, this makes sense. This is a great story Mm -hmm. to tell. Also, this does not make any sense. Mm -hmm. And like, I I, I tried to bridge that gap of, I didn't want the whole book to be like French ballet terms. Right. And, (laughs) you know, and just also just reliving. I had to relive a lot of great things. And all, not so great things about this almost two decade long career mm. that I've had in this in this theater, and it like I think it's it's a full circle moment. It was fantastic for me to be able to zoom out after being like you guys both understand what it's like to be in the machine mm-hmm. and how like even the smallest things feel like the highest stakes, mostly because we're made to feel like they're the highest stakes, but like to like zoom out and realize like, damn, okay. Like you've had a pretty substantial career Mm -hmm. and like to, to look at that with pride and to, to come back and then to have, it it took so much longer to write this book than what I thought it would. Mm -hmm. Like I started this process in 2017 this was not like a pandemic. Let me sit down and write my story. Right. Um, like this, this took so much time to thread a coming of age story, right. and it's also like you know you have influence from the editor, the the publishing house, and like they also want a certain. They know what's going to sell. Right. Um, I think so- also what's like super interesting is that just even the book covers. You know, we're having mm-hmm. another book relaunch in the UK, October 14th. And just the difference of what the cover is in the US versus the cover in the UK, that was a huge learning curve and says a lot to what audiences here in the United States and readers here in the United States will be drawn to. Right. So did you have any pushback from editors about the tone? Like we're talking about how authentically Gina it is. Like you, you are like just really... Um, straightforward and brazen. It's it's giving Madonna writing a book. You know, it's like you know, it's um, but it can be. I guess there is a market for like this the seedier side of ballet, but also ballet is often like media like that is consumed by parents or young children. Did you ever have like pushback to be like, Gina, we should make this a little bit like softer or? Um, you know, let's, let's blur the edges a little bit and not be so provocative. I mean, I only have that sort of feedback when I am dancing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I only get that from the directors and the like it, it, it here. This is my voice. This is my truth. They wanted that to come forth. Right. Um, I do wish that there was like a re- like an F word redacted version. So that kids and, you know, kids could read it. Uh-huh. But, you know, if anything, it's just, if anything, I hear that it's become the underground, like, oh, we've got to get a hold of Swan Dive. Yeah. <laughs> it's the forbidden book. And, I, you know, I've had a lot of parents who've read it, um, you know, message me on Instagram and say, like, hey, thank you. Thank you. Especially mothers of women in the ballet. Mm-hmm. And, and they were like, you have touched upon a lot of my fears, but you have also shown me how it's possible to navigate this world and hold your boundaries and, and carve out a space for yourself that doesn't involve you placating to the the patriarchy or to the toxic environments that can exist in a ballet company. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's, I think that's important. The, the only, just to wrap up your question, I think there were at least my UK editor who happened, we happen to have the same first name. Hmm. So mm-hmm. I call her George. She, uh, <laughs> she was like, you know, I love the F word as much as you love the F word. 
I think we, I, and I was like, I'm already on top of it. I had taken out like at least like 200 efforts out of it. <laughs> you re- when you write a book, you really realize what your favorite words are. And it truly is one of my favorites. Well, it just personal. Yeah. <laughs> so many Very applications. Yeah, exactly. I want to, can I read like a little, a little segment of your book? Yeah, do you do, mind? It, do it. Because do I it. just, you've, you've talked about food a few times and there was this one spot in here that I just loved so much because it, it touches upon all of my favorite things. And so you're talking do you about, want me, do you want me to pull it up and read it? Or if do you, you do, you that would be amazing. I can tell you what page it's on. What, what page is it? Page 59. You're talking about um, Concerto Barocco and Balanchine core. Okay. Here is a little excerpt from chapter six. You don't fit in from here to there. Balanchine knew the core could be the company's secret sauce. Imagine eating a big, fat, juicy burger that's bursting with umami flavor. Sure, it's possible the burger would be pretty effing good on its own with your basic ketchup and mustard situation. Hell, maybe a sliced pickle. But you know damn well that it's the umami flavor that's responsible for that party in your mouth, making you want to take one big bite after the other until it's gone. Remove the spirit of the core from a Balanchine production, and what you'll get is bravura without context. Love it. Ah, bravo. (laughs) It's so good. It just made, it's such a great analogy it just and it kind of captures just how fun the book is that there are these serious moments but there's also these fun little things and very you moments you know well, it's like everyone it knows what a burger tastes like but not everybody knows what it's like to dance in an iconic ballet such as you know <laughs> concerto Barocco or serenade for that matter like right. no one knows what that pk circle is in serenade what that right. feels like <laughs> when you're like swelling with the tchaikovsky score yeah so I was trying, like, we're trying to think of things to like, how, how do you relate that to someone who knows nothing of ballet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and a so, it's a great <laughs> so great while you're addressing a lot of the darker elements of things that you've experienced as a dancer or seen as a dancer, you've made a lot of choices to just directly say who the person is, but sometimes you'll use a, a pseudonym or whatever. Um, but how did you come to this choice? Like, what is there a process through which you decide? I mean, it's, you know, it's what you're doing is important, bringing it to light. But I, I'm sure that also must feel scary that you're actually saying people that either previously have directly impacted your career or can do so in the future. Um, not my choice. That's the legal read. That, mm-hmm. That's just like straight up legality. Like a lot of the stuff is already public knowledge. And so right. you can't, like, and I just, I think every, I think it's just kind of common. Not, like I, I think there's been like a little misconception about the book that I'm like this whistleblower. Mm-hmm. Y'all, the whistle's already been blown. Right. Yeah. And I mean, so I'm just like, what's important for people to focus on is this is a very specific lens. This is a lens of the only woman of color in the upper tiers of the New York city ballet, how long it's taken to get there and how much of the visibility that's just been shrouded. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this, I think it was as important as it was for me to be honest in my feelings about persons, places, and things, it was also just as important to me to hold myself accountable, to Mm -hmm. use this book as a reflection of my own poor choices and mistakes. And that's why like, like swan dives are palate cleansers of me falling, you know? And, and you know, that that's, that's why I touched on some of my own mistakes in my, in, in my moral compass, because you can't read your colleagues and your company within an mm-hmm. inch of their life and not examine how you played a part in some right. of those situations. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to spark the conversation on how do we move forward? Because it's not by ignoring the existence of mm-hmm. the book. It's not by ignoring the existence of the problem. You have to address the problem head on mm-hmm. for change to be created, for, for people to move forward. I think it's really interesting and not something that's often done in a situation like this, where 
you will tell a story like really scathingly about an individual's behavior. And then you bring nuance into it by saying that actually this person has done these other positive things for you, or like you had this experience with them. And it like, it brings your own sense of like, uh, being conflicted into it. And, and then the reader takes that on. It makes it so much more nuanced than just like person A, bad, me, good. Um, it's never like that. Nothing like that in right. life is, 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 right. mm-hmm. is so just like, it's, it's not one or the other. We are filled with nuance. Mm-hmm. It's just like what I talk about with, with Phil, with diversity, mm-hmm. with final ball for yellow face, it is all about nuance. Our relation, our interpersonal relationships involve nuance and we are all, it's just like, we are all gonna, for lack of a better word, fuck up. And mm-hmm. we can, you can bleep that out if you need to. <laughs> but like, I do still believe in the power of redemption. Mm-hmm. I still am, call me a freaking romantic, but like, I still feel like their humanity has capacity to redeem itself. Mm-hmm. And it just, we have to just hold each other accountable. And like, right. for as much as the, there is fact in some of the terrible things that have occurred. There's also fact in some of the great things that have occurred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I and think it's, it's okay to talk about that and be honest about that. Right. I think it's, you're making a really solid point to as companies, some like, you know, not even just New York, New York city ballot or ballot companies, but like corporations are trying to deal with this reckoning on, I mean, so many issues like sexism, racism, homophobia, sexual harassment, and I think a lot of them want to just like paint in one broad stroke and be like, and now we've gotten rid of the problem. And then, you know, without actually like tearing its roots out, like getting rid of the person, like, for instance, you talk about how Peter's behavior influenced other men in the company, like those men were punished, but it was the behavior was sort of like embedded into the nature of the company, just like even not, not even just um, just the way that like men and particularly heterosexual men will be treated differently than the women in the company. Not saying that, that all the men in New York city ballet are, are harassing women from day to day, but you are just tre- inherently treated differently. Like the workload, like if a man wants to call out, you know, that's going to be a little more. Okay. You know, it's like men are just inherently treated different. And so it's it's a part of the fabric of a ballet company. It's not just, oh, this one person's bad and we can get rid of them. And then that's, we can wash our hands clean. Well, I mean, what, I, what I'm posing is, is like, yes, the book takes place in a ballet environment because that's my gift. That's what right. I do. But like, let's, let's not give this particular person that much credit. Right. He did. He didn't establish the patriarchy. And what right. we're talking about here in the <laughs> uh-huh. macro sense uh-huh. is the overall patriarchy. And then also how that has infused itself in a very particular way into mm-hmm. our world that has right. been around for 400 years. Right. And like, so it, it's there are big, big themes mm-hmm. in, in the book, in the book. And I think coming back to your question before, like, there was a version of this book where I didn't dive into anything and it was boring and it was bad. (laughs) And, and I really had to like get a hold of myself and be like, yes, this is going to be so hard to put yourself out there. And also once it's out there, it's forever out there, Mm -hmm. like forever. And I just felt that like, no, 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 this, this book in a lot of ways speaks to a lot of issues that are much bigger than just my experience. Mm -hmm. And I think it's more important for people like, even if you like ballet, don't like ballet that are picking it up, they're learning something about what it's like to be mixed in a ballet company, a multicultural Mm -hmm. person, what it's like to be a woman. It's a woman's story in this, this world in which we are still talking about the effects of the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Trained at the North Carolina School of the Arts and the School of American Ballet, at 20 years of age, Michael Lenglois was invited by Mikhail Bershnikov to join American Ballet Theater. 
Having seemingly made it to the top of his profession, he nevertheless spends his nights on stage at the Metropolitan Opera House, filling the gaps between the stars and the scenery, watching his colleagues dance in ways that he himself can only dream of. B+, his memoir of a 16-year career, is an unflinching view of the joys and hardships in a career in dance, as well as a behind-the-scenes look at one of the most prestigious dance companies in the world during the height of the ballet boom in this country. Get your copy of B+, now, wherever books are sold, including Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books and Books, or you can click the link in the description of this episode. We want to tell you about a product that I am currently obsessed with, the Olive and June Manicure Systems. I've heard about their products before and how they were bringing salon-quality manicures right to your home. It did take me a little while to decide to finally dive in and give it a try, but I have to say, believe the hype. Their at-home Manny Systems include everything you need to get the perfect manicure, plus they have tons of online resources that offer tips and tricks of the trade. Save time and money with the perfect at-home manicure that truly lasts and lasts. I couldn't believe when I heard that their polish lasts a week or longer, but seriously, they do. I have even traveled across the country with no chip in sight, which we all know is a small miracle. They have so many beautiful colors, including gorgeous nude polishes that are perfect for onstage or in the studio. My favorite is called CCT. It would definitely be my go-to if I were still performing. Through Conversations on Dance, we are happy to offer our listeners 20% off their first-time order of any Olive and June system when you use code DANCE20 at checkout. That's DANCE20, all one word, or click the link in the description of this episode. The best way to support Conversations on Dance is to patronize our sponsors, so happy shopping! And I think so some of the things you've you've touched on a lot of the topics that you bring up in the book. And another one that I found particularly interesting was also the concept of fat talks, which is or just in general, the way bodies look in ballet and how that's also a fabric of a ballet company. Um, and so I as I was reading it, I was it was like things were flashing back for me. Things were coming back that I haven't thought about in a really long time. And so I wonder, too, for you, as you're going through all of this and like kind of having to unpack your entire career, maybe things you haven't thought about in a long time. What was that experience like for you? And why did you feel like it was important also to include all those little segments of things that happened that were really not positive? Right. Well, first of all, like, let me acknowledge that, like, I'm sure that that was hard to experience. And so like Rebecca and also Michael, I'm sure you also felt that in a certain way, like that sucks to remember things about how we were all in a sense body shamed mm -hmm. at some point. And so I, I like, I, I thought about maybe this should have a trigger warning, but it's, I think it's a process of, of, of moving forward and accepting oneself. I mean, like I have some pretty dark demons and it, it's through this process of writing this book and through this process of trying to own my identity, I, I've realized how much anxiety I carry. Mm -hmm. And so the process of that was hard. And like, I also want to circle back around that I'm not saying like it's men are the problem. The it like men aren't the problem. Patriarchy is the mm -hmm. problem. But also there are also some women who are really toxic in our world. And a lot of the body shaming, I have to say, comes from the women who have the specific body type that are just like, why can't you look like this? And I'm like, DNA, DNA mm -hmm. is why I can't look mm -hmm. like this. And mm -hmm. so they, there is space for a body like mine. There is space for an ethnicity like mine on that stage. Mm -hmm. And I think for so long, we have just upheld this for lack of a better description, white Eurocentric waif than ideal that is not of the global majority mm -hmm. and that is no longer relevant in that particular sense. Our mm -hmm. our our princes and princesses, our leaders are not that. And mm -hmm. we need to sort of also like like everyone in this I keep refer I keep like gesturing to the building. Like listeners, like you're going to see this. I'm gesturing towards the theater. Every single person in there, I've seen it over the past seven weeks being back. Every single person that dances with New York City Ballet is, in, is a phenomenal dancer. Mm -hmm. And everyone should be given the same equal opportunity to rise and to shine. 
And I'm just saying in like my particular pathway has not been the same as others. And that is partly due to a bias, an internal bias. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, why do you think this is something I was thinking um, as, and I mean, it could be just that you are inherently different. Your, your background is different from every single person in New York City Valley. So it makes you more keenly aware. But I feel like also certain women who were body shamed, why do you think people pa- choose to pass on the trauma instead of oh, like, I don't, I, it's, it's, we talk about this a lot too. And I don't think, I just don't feel like it's unique to our generation. I think that people, I know people our age who I see a little bit like, oh, that's a, you're kind of passing that on, girl. <laughs> like, you're not like, try to remember how we felt and then, you know, be, do better. But like, why, why does that, why is that so common? Why do we uphold I, the patriarchy? No, I, I don't even, I don't even know if it's the patriarchy in that sense that I think it's, it's, I think it comes down to the fact that we as dancers do not live in a place where we have our own agency. We live in this power structure, which is also something I tried to outline. Like so much of our lives, we are powerless to mm-hmm. schedule. I mean, it is, I have to be honest with you guys. Like it has been devastating to come back and only get 48 hours notice. I was had, I was able to plan my full day for two years Mm -hmm, and now I'm waiting to figure out what my life is going to be like. That's amazing. And I think part of that comes from having this little glimpse of power Mm-hmm. As we, as 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 dancers or people step into administrative roles who have more agency, who have more power, who have more knowledge, mm-hmm. and I I think it's it's for us as individuals to really sort of reflect on our own experiences and try to do our own work so that we don't pass on this generational trauma. Mm-hmm. And and I I it it just it's not easy. None of this is easy. I'm not saying that, like, I'm not preaching that, like, I've got it all figured out. Like, I still body shame myself. Like, I said, like, it's still, it's, it's an ever, it's not something, it's not a box you can check off. Coming back Mm -hmm. to, like, corporations and companies, you don't just hire the diversity consultant and call it a day. Right. You know, it's just, it's an ever going evolution into understanding the sacrifice that it takes. Mm-hmm. And yes, we do have to be in, in prime shape. Like I have to be in my best shape. Line is essential to our art form. And also like we're dancers. Some, a lot of us have not had the chance to sit down and I like, I love words. I really love words. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people just use unfortunate words. Mm. What you see, like I talk about, like, I, I didn't realize how much it impacted me that there is no picture of anyone who remotely looks like me in the halls of the school of American Ballet, Mm -hmm. in the halls, except if I run by a picture of me Mm -hmm. (laughs) at the theater, you know, like, like it, it, it can be a very lonely place. And like, I had a, I did, you know, in, in continuing this, like, brutal honesty with myself and, and sharing, you know, like I had a breakdown in one of our earlier completes before Russian seasons went on. And, you know, my colleagues were trying to be so helpful and was coming from such a wonderful place. And they were like, you put too much pressure on yourself. You're just putting too much pressure on yourself. And I, you know, in the moment I took it and I was like, you're right in this particular situation, maybe I'm putting too much pressure. And then I came home and I reflected on what was happening. And I realized, no, they, they don't have the same experience. They're already, they are already at tip top. They were already principals and they aren't, they, they aren't the sole woman mm-hmm. of color coming back. Like there is a certain amount of pressure. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, a lot of pressure that I put on myself by writing a book and then like, you know, showing back up at work being like, huzzah, but <laughs> still like just beyond that, like there is an impact to being the only, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I wish it wasn't that there is, there is a certain amount of pressure that in, whether it's stated or not, whether or not like my immediate colleagues see me as other or not, of course they mm-hmm. accept me. Mm-hmm. It's still there. It's like my dad telling me that like, he doesn't think I'm as Asian as he is because I like have mixed heritage mm-hmm. and like, those are really hard conversations and talks to like, like the colorism Mm -hmm. that goes on in the Asian diaspora, like it, Mm -hmm. it like, but no matter what he did to try to raise me in the white passing trajectory, you know, like listeners, I sit here, I am a mixed race woman. I have dark hair in my normal life without my makeup, you know, like, yes, I have almond eyes, like I pass, but the Mm -hmm. second I put on stage makeup, it is so apparent that I am an Asian American woman. And, you know, like I sat, sat down and said, dad, it didn't matter. Like, I'm so happy for everything that you provided for me as someone who has immigrated to the United States and made this wonderful family for, you know, my like five siblings, six kids. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. And with my mom, my mom needs credit in that. But like, this is still the reality. You may like you may have chosen a white trajectory for me but the world still sees me as other. Right. And that really struck me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if we imagined for a second, a young professional dancer reading your book and say 20 years, how do you hope that their experience is different from what they're reading on the pages of Swan Dive? I know there's a lot of ways, but maybe one general one. I mean, I hope that dancer is able to afford the city they live in because they are getting paid a living wage that acknowledges and respects the sacrifice, how much we are Olympic level athletes and Mm -hmm. artists and the art that we create is so special. It's ephemeral. It's there and then it's gone. And that I really wish was appreciated more in a monetary sense because it is so fleeting. Mm-hmm. It's so fleeting. Um, I hope that we have some new full lengths yes. that tell, that tell some more nuanced stories. I'm so like, to be honest, like, I don't want to see a sleeping. Be- I don't want to see a story about a 15 year old girl that was getting married and then like fell asleep just in time to be kissed and then get married without it. Like she is talking about not having any agency. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of those stories. Yeah. Like I'm like, I want, I, I want a hero ballet. Like, and if we're going to, if we're going to sell out to get tickets, like where's frozen the ballet? I mean, totally. Why not? Yeah. Like, I mean, I was, you, it was, you're making me think like, if you're like the way that Disney has finally, like in the past, maybe 20 or 15 years, like made an effort to diversify it. I mean, they're not really princesses anymore, but like now there are, there are heroines, if you will, Mm -hmm. that look like any kid, you know, like any kid could look at one movie or another and see themselves in it. It's not just, you know, Cinderella is blonde and white and so is Aurora and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, So I just, yeah, what ballet could be telling those stories too. I think it's just like, I think that to that person reading that book and this book and the future is to be like, wow, look, look at where we were and then be inspired to go back even further, go back to the courts of Louis the 15th and realize that like, oh, ballet dancers were all men at one point. And then they were all women at one point. And then here we are now in this like weird interim trying to push the art form so much like we are really pushing it forward into the future right now in this moment and like all of these voices that are being heard have a part they're like a tile in this greater mosaic of change that we are shifting forward and i hope i hope that person is able to like take chances and be wrong Mm -hmm. but also like understand what empathy is understand what inclusivity is and understand what diversity is in the very fiber of their beings, they don't have to unlearn. Right. They just experience. We see each other as humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Like I think like just the unlearning part in particular really resonates because we're talking about 
us having to unlearn our own trauma. Like, I mean, when you brought up the body, like how you still body shame yourself, I'm just like, I always talk about this with my friends. It's like, if there are parts of it that I'm just like, I don't know. It's going to be really hard for us to unlearn. It would be great if we just never learned that behavior <laughs> right. to begin it's with, true. you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it doesn't get easier when you retire. I'll let you right. know. <laughs> right. But in this process of unlearning, I'm just trying to like acknowledge it. And to me, it's like finding a safe group of people where I can be like, Hey, this is going to sound absurd, but like this article just came out and I'm having a full body dysmorphia moment mm-hmm. on it. And they can turn to me and be like, okay, let's acknowledge that. But also you're full of shit. Get over yourself. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. And then right. I can be like, you're right. I'm having, I having it's, it take, I mean, it's the body keeps the score, right? It's like in, it's in our being. I try to acknowledge where I'm feeling it from. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a way to, to utilize that energy. I like to flip it into making someone feel great about their body. Right. So great about their artistry. Like, send some positive energy out there for the negative energy that I feel about myself or if mm-hmm. I'm feeling about, you know, a situation. Yeah. I like that you say that about like being with someone that can like acknowledge that moment. Like, okay, you, I understand what you're going through with body dysmorphia, that sort of thing and kind of acknowledge it and find that strength in it. And I think maybe with this book, you have given that to so many people too, because reading it, I mean, Michael and I were, we were texting about like, there's so many things that people can relate to in these moments, especially as, a, you know, as someone who's a dancer, you can really relate to these moments. And so I think that you're also being that friend for so many people as they're reading. So, and we know it's, you know, it can't be easy to put yourself out there like that to tell the real story, but you know, it means something to people as they read it to see like, Oh, this happened to other people too. You know, it's not just me. And that right. I think is comforting. Oh, wow. That, that means so, so much for you to say that. I mean, like, I hope I like, I hope more people who have been reticent or uh, like a little like scared to pick up the book, just do it. At least listen to like, get the audiobook. Then you have like me yakking in your ear for yeah. like mm-hmm. eight hours. It like can be less painful. <laughs> um, it, it just like, it's, it's not it's not so scary. Mm-hmm. And they like, I mean, you'll laugh about like me trying to understand what it's like to dance naked on stage. I think that's one of my favorite stories to talk about is just like the fact that, Oh my God, I danced naked on the Joyce theater stage. That's hilarious. But that like, it's pretty wild. I, did I that mean, check. <laughs> and, and that's a paw that Jane Fonda wanted to do at one point. Like, I'm like, all right, I'll put that feather in my cap and yeah. not own that. <laughs> I'm not going to do it right now. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think too, and even like you said before, you were considering like, oh, should there be a trigger warning for the conversation, the fat talk? Actually, I, I felt like it was, it was good to read it. It was good to see like, okay, this has happened to other people at a different level than me, you know? And then it was also good to see it through a lens of like, oh, that's, it's been a long time now. And, you know, you can move past it in some way. So I think it, like, even though there are things that will, it'll bring things up for you. It, it's still, it's so enjoyable and still fun. And like you said, it's juxtaposed with like something crazy happens and then, but something good happens, you know? So I think it is, it has that strikes that balance. We have just such a rare job. Like we get to do what we do and the audience claps and we get to like work out every day. And like, I just, it's it's really phenomenal and i'm just, I, I really am filled with i think it's cut like i think i'm feeling the residual of the experience from last night but like how grateful i am to my own body for not only getting me through a pandemic but like rehealing itself from this major injury and then like coming back to the exact steps that literally broke my body right and then my body being like i got you I got you. And just like that, how lucky to be able to still dance. And I just, I want, it just comes back to, I want more people to be able to have this experience Mm -hmm. of dancing if they want it. 
like it's still a lot of sacrifice. It's never going to be easy. It's never going to be a walk in the park and you're still going to have to work your ass off to be this. I'm not saying it should be easy in that sense. Mm -hmm. None of it. Like we are too much of perfectionists just in our own right to ever allow that to happen. But like, I think like I'm just filled with like this won't last forever and I still have it now. And like, what do I want to do moving forward? What kind of legacy do I want to leave? Not not only through my activism, but like just as an artist. And I'm just, I'm, I want to tell more stories. I want to, I want to, this isn't the end. I think, Mm -hmm. I think this is only the beginning. So maybe for our last question, I would like to know, I'm sure our listeners would love to know as well. Do you have any other plans to continue writing? Are there other, like when you we were talking about stories to tell, do you mean that on stage or do you mean that literal stories? Like what, what ways do you see yourself um, continuing to create? Um, I mean, I do think there's, a, I do think there could be a book too. Mm-hmm. Not discuss, like I'm still trying to get book one out. <laughs> um, but I I do think there'll be much more writing and I, I think there's ex- exciting things I in terms of like I see myself I'm not a choreographer mm-hmm. um, but I see myself being able to like I, I like dramaturg for the ballet mm-hmm. like write write stories for the ballet the men to be like okay so then be part of that creative process right. of it I don't want to make the steps. Right. Um, maybe I don't. It, yeah. And I, I think like, I reserve the right to change that attitude in the future, <laughs> mm-hmm. but like, ah, it's not my gift. Like, no, know your strengths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think just in the practice of, of writing, whether it gets published or not helps me redefine where I want to go as a performing artist. Like I said, words matter. And so if you say the words in your head, if you write them down, if you write your intentions down, they somehow fill your body. And then like, you know, it's like I'm in full blown prep for Sweet Gwen Sweet, which is happening at, at City Center. Mm-hmm. And that's that's wildly like mind blowing to me. But like, there's no way to be Gwen Verdon, no one can be Gwen Verdon. Gwen Verdon is like, and then I'm like, Gina, you are a fool. Um, But (laughs) at the same time, I'm like, well, duh, no one can be Gwen Verdon, but like also no one can be me and I'm going to infuse this with me. And so like, and so like in the process of using this tool that I have, this new writing tool, like I'm, I'm using the same processes to help infuse my, my artistic uh, journey with that particular narrative. And, and I, I'm just an ever curious person. I'm not going to give it all away. There's definitely stuff coming down the pipe. Ooh, right. Well, we'll have to have you back on the pod when something Absolutely. new happens. Keep us posted. Anytime. <laughs> we'll always have Gina back. Yeah. Well, we have to let you go and get back into that beautiful building back on that stage. And thank you so much for chatting with us. It's always a pleasure. And thanks for sharing your book with us. We really loved it. Thanks, Yay. Gina. Thanks, guys. Thank you.